Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. A what up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag. With me, as always, a Rob Van Hoff. What up and shalom, Rob. What up and shalom. Yeah. Is that going to be our bumper sticker? You know, actually, oh, thank you for reminding me. I'm glad you was brought... Was that one of the... Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was one of them, but that's not the one that won. We had uh, two front runners. Here's the deal. is It's going to cost us about a dollar a sticker to produce the stickers. So I figure that we're probably going to do a first... And what do we have? What's our budget? Like $3? Well, pretty much. Uh, basically, I'm paying for this out of pocket. It's coming out of my own pocket. So that's how much I love so this show. So I guess it's probably four to four bucks. Exactly. Uh, no, we, we had uh, two. We had two main uh, sticker ideas, and let's see here. Um, one of them was I'm one of the thirty six. That's the one that actually won. And then um, you know what? I'll be completely honest with you. I don't even have my uh, notes up here, and I'm not sure why. Uh, pardon the lack of preparedness here. Uh, the other one was the one that Adam uh, Smith sent in to us, which was uh, tipping sacred cow. Uh, yeah, t- tipping sacred cows every Thursday. The Robin Caleb show. Um, so I'm actually going to produce both of those. Maybe not at the same time because I don't have a hundred bucks. I'm I'm a lowly podcaster. I don't have that kind of money. Um, but you know, so we'll do them one at a time. If, uh, if we, if, if I come into some more money all of a sudden, then I'll produce them both at the same time. I actually think I get a discount if I, if I order both of them at the same time, but what we'll do is everyone who voted, anyone who voted and and wanted and wants a sticker will get one for free. Anyone who listens and wants one for free, uh, yeah, pay for the, the postage and I'll, I'll send one out to you. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, for the past, I don't know. Three or four weeks, I've been every every week. I've been like, oh my word, it's been such a week. It's been I can't believe this week. Theologically, my word. Um, this week is absolutely no ex- uh, no exception. In fact, I would say this week I came to an epiphany, and the epiphany is this. Uh, you, maybe I should give a little backstory on this. Uh, one of my very dear close friends sat me down and and had a little chat with me. And explained to me that uh, there are people saying to her that uh, I am getting a black mark on my reputation as a uh, the- as the theological police and a theological bully. And this, of course, is because of this show and the fact that we talk about stuff all the time. And what we so which, which it, would you prefer, TP or TB? <laughs> <laughs> TP. Uh, well, that could stand for some other things. Maybe that's or more appropriate. TV, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, and the point, I I stepped back and I looked at the messianic movement. I looked at what's going on with One Nineteen Ministries right now and Jim Barfield, which we're going to talk about here in a few seconds. 
I looked at even just, you know, uh, Chuck Missler from, we were talking about Chuck Missler last week. Uh, even the guys that I, you know, I, I really, really, uh, the guys that we've had on the, on the show before, like, uh, Jim Staley, uh, you know, and his, his take on the Nephilim, it's all just so sad. It is so sad to me. The le- and what I realize is that the Messianic movement is in dire straits. Because nobody cares about scholarship. Nobody cares about actually doing the hard work and, and actually producing things that are true and doing the hard work to make sure that the things are true. And because of that, what you have in the Messianic movement is you have all these people following after total nonsense. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, uh, you know, all, everybody always says, oh, Caleb, you, you, I got this. I got this so many times in the past two weeks. Oh, you know, you're not always right. Torah resources isn't always right. I'm not suggesting that Torah resources is always right. What I'm suggesting is, is that at least we take the time to check our sources, to do the work, the hard work of actually being diligent to texts. And a lot of these other groups do not. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to give praise where praise is due. I was very encouraged uh, a week ago, a week or two ago, a gentleman named David Wilbur, who is actually, he, I, I'm not sure if he studies under or it, he just uh, teaches with Jim Staley at Passion for Truth. He's, he's younger. He's, I think, around my age. And he, uh, he, he's starting to do work for Passion for Truth. And he actually came to me and, and some other people. He posted this uh, article online, but he came to me and he said, I'd like you to check this uh, for theological, you know, and, and give me any theological concerns you might have. That right there showed me, you know, that he, he is really trying to come at things the right way. So praise where praise is due. Uh, you know, and honestly, his article is very good. Uh, the other, you know, the other, uh, the other person that I highly admire right now is uh, Rob Roy. Rob Roy runs, uh, runs uh, uh, Messianic Publications. Yeah. And Messianic Publications is basic, basically what he does at Messianic Publications is he just takes articles from different One Torah teachers and then posts them on uh, his website. And he puts good graphics on them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, who, I don't remember the name of the, the person that contributes the funny one, like kind of the far side, you know, the Gary Larson style. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One I, frame. I know who you're talking about. Uh, cartoons I, I like that yeah so good stuff and, good well, stuff. and not only that but he but uh rob rob roy is actually producing some some good articles himself he's writing good articles um and of course judah gabriel humango i don't know if i'm saying his name right uh judah and i talk back and forth uh online i've never actually met him face to face and i really hope to he in my opinion he's a he's a dear brother in the lord and his blog is just fantastic my word his blog is fantastic uh, he, he's just got a good head on his shoulders and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he really thinks through things. And so I, I don't want people to think that we're just, so this is a shout out. Yeah, it's a shout out. That's exactly right. I don't want people to think that we're just constantly downing other people. Uh, we are, I'm sure, because that's what the, you know, our show is about talking about things that we disagree with theologically. In fact, we've even done a show where we uh, put uh, theological differences on hold and tried to talk about nice things, and everybody told us, "Okay, we enough got of that." Yeah, <laughs> people, people were like, "Dude, stop doing that." <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, we get that all the yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, listen to this comment. This is a comment uh, on uh, now. Uh, another thing that people might realize on my YouTube channel, 
the Caleb Hegg channel, um, I started putting up two things have happened in the past, I don't know, week, two weeks. I started putting up short clips of our show and I did that so that people could get snippets of highlights. So you'll see, sometimes you'll see spoilers like the day of before the, the whole show goes up, whatnot. Anyway, within these, within these short clips, I got, I also started allowing comments on a lot of my videos. So there's that. Um, this is one of the comments on, and this was the Jim Staley on the Nephilim clip. This guy's name is Miguel. I've gone roundabout with this guy. This guy uh, basically says that Hebrews shouldn't be in the in the Bible. So, uh, you mean the, the Epistle to Hebrews, right? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Um, so he says, to, this is his comment. He says, and Caleb Hag, he starts with and, and Caleb Hag, who rags on people because they look at, at outside sources, wears a kippa because dot, 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 he's a hypocrite. Did you get in the right amount of dots? Probably not. I think there's more. Um, first of all, let me address this real quick for our audience. I have nothing wrong. I have nothing against outside sources. I use outside sources all the time. I like outside sources. Uh, we, we use outside sources. I mean, one of Rob's specialties is uh, rabbinical writings. We use outside sources from the Bible all the time. That's not what sola scriptura means, by the way. For those who might be confused on that, uh, I'm not against outside sources and I'm not against tradition either. A lot of people think, oh, Caleb's so against the rabbis. I'm not against the rabbis. I'm against the rabbis' tradition if it supersedes, if people try to make it supersede Torah, and if they try to tell people they're sinning if they don't keep tradition. I, I wear a keeper for my own personal reasons, okay? I have. My own personal reasons. I don't even make my son wear a kippah. So I'm not sure why people would think that this is a, you know, I've never told anyone that they need to be wearing a kippah or yarmulke, however you want to say it. And uh, what I am against, however, is people misusing outside sources. This is going to be a soapbox episode. I can already feel it. Um, Misusing outside sources. (laughs) And this is going to bring us right into, uh, you know, I got to get some music cued here because I, I made special music just for this segment, um, which we're coming into now. I don't know how many people have realized, but uh, so yesterday I wrote a blog post uh, about 119 Ministries and uh, the Copper Scroll Project. Basically, all I did, uh, I posted something. 119 Ministries has responded to Rob and me personally through email. And basically what they've said is, uh, you know, we don't, we don't care. <laughs> Essentially, they've said we don't care about uh, what, what you guys have, have uh, brought forth. Uh, we don't think the evidence is really there. So I wrote, I wrote a small little thing and posted it, and people kept saying, oh, show us what you presented to 119 Ministries. So I wrote a blog post, and you can find that blog post in multiple different places now, including tourresourceblog.com. And what I did was I just gave the paleo, uh, paleography, uh, the outline of the paleography of the Copper Scroll, which automatically disproves uh, their entire theory. Uh, but now I'm getting ready to write a response to Jim Barfield. Now, Jim Barfield, this, uh, this, is, this proves my point. This, this shows what I'm talking about with the Messianic movement. This shows the dire straits the Messianic movement is in. Uh, basically, Jim Barfield heard our show, and he responded to our show on the Copper Scroll Project website. And 
It's under a uh, section called questions and answers. And basically this whole question and answer page is dedicated to trying to respond to us. Do you, uh, he starts basically by saying, oh, he's an investigator. And first of all, let me tell you, let me just be completely frank. If this is what the, is, if this is the kind of work invest, investigators in the USA are doing to put people behind bars, then our judicial system is in dire straits as well. This is absolute, absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's sad. It's, it makes me angry that anyone's even buying into this. And maybe people aren't. Uh, in fact, I, I honestly thought when I first looked at this, I thought, you know, Adam Smith, he just started a blog. Uh, I think it's called Bearded Disciple. He, his first piece was a, uh, was a satirical piece, which was actually quite funny. And when I was reading Barfield's uh, qu- question and answer, I thought to myself, Adam Smith could just copy and paste this as a blog post and it could be another sat- satirical piece because it's that funny or sad, whatever, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, one of the first things he does, he, his first question, well, he, first he tries to set himself up by saying, oh, yeah, you know, we need to really look at the sources, blah, blah, blah. But then he doesn't. Uh, he says, uh, first question, why do you believe that the Copper Scroll was created during the time of Jeremiah? And what did you base your dating on? Well, what, wait, wait a minute. Okay, go for it. Even before that, on this website, he, he says we shouldn't be like the Nazis yeah. who publicly humiliated, tortured, and killed those that did not comply with their teachings. So and I, I'm like, why is he bringing Nazis into this unless... He's equating us. I think that's what he's saying about us, is that we, yeah, is that we publicly like shamed him or something. Um, he does that himself with the, his... Yeah, he, he's publicly shaming himself. Absolutely. This is hor- it's absolutely horrific, the things he puts on... Uh, he posts. He says Jeremiah lived in the middle of the fifth century BC. Well, he's he's taking all of it. Okay, hang on just a sec. He's taking all of his dates. <clears throat> pardon me. He's taking all of his dates from the Jewish timeline encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. He's a that guy's a kabbalist. Oh, yeah. So a, so Hasidic. He's not. <laughs> Mattis Cantor. Mattis yeah. Cantor is a kabbalist, and basically what Mattis Cantor is trying to do in this book is he's trying to make it so that all of the rabbinic literature of the Talmud and the Mishnah exactly is. lines up exactly and so he's taking a timeline from the talmud and the mishnah and saying (laughs) that it's truth and so what does barfield do he jumps on board with this he agrees with it he agrees with it and why (laughs) because it fits his his timeline the other thing he does check this out the thing is he so so just so everybody knows barfield believes that the prophet jeremiah (laughs) lived in the 400s bc (laughs) oh and that nebuchadnezzar you know come and and so the destruction of the first temple yeah yeah was what he has it in 423 bc yeah 423 bc yeah he has Haggai, zechariah and malachi in the in, 300s in the 300s bc <laughs> oh man and then he what says, is well, happening my my uh my independent research fits that of uh mati's contour who's this Hasidic Kabbalist. Yeah, but that, but that's like, just, but that's just the point is that he doesn't go on. He doesn't, he doesn't feel that his audience needs to know who Matis Cantor is or what yeah. his agenda is in that book. And and every <laughs> can I share one of my other oh wait, favorite. hang on just a sec before you go on. I I want to I, hang on. There's so much here. The, the, right underneath. So I read this question. Why do you believe that the Copper Scroll was created during the time of the Jeremiah? And what did you base your dating on? The first thing he gives is this website, ladies and gentlemen. 
I hope that you hear the passion here. This is so ridiculous. It's unbelievable. I'm having to write a, a, a blog piece about this. And it's just where to start. The first thing he gives is a, is a link to this guy. And it's Philip Coppins or Coppins. Okay. Let me just read you a list of some of Philip Coppins books. This is the first, he doesn't say anything. He just gives a link to this guy's article. This guy has written such books as The Ancient Alien Question, uh, The Ancient Alien Question by Philip Coppins, X-Ray Charge, Density and Chemical Bonding, Evidence of of the Gods, A Visual Tour of Alien Influence in the Ancient Near East, The Ancient Alien Question, A New Inquiry into the Existence, the lost sounds civil- like this guy's qualified to talk about the Copper Scroll. That's right. Servants of the Grail, the real-life characters of the Grail legend, the yeah, Holy I, Grail, that is. He's, he's the guy we want to call when, we, when it comes to looking and interpreting the, the Copper Scroll. Who are you going to call? Philip Coppins. That's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy to call about the Copper Scroll. And that's Jim Barth. He doesn't even say anything about it. He just, no, he puts, just, he just posts a link. Listen, okay, go ahead. You, you have okay, one, well, and then there's, I'm there's going. so much, and I, I don't want to... <laughs> you know, steal what you're going to be doing in your, your second blog. But here, just as a synopsis. Oh, steal, steal. He, he cites the apocalypse of Baruch, which is Syriac. Yeah. Yeah. It's number two, sec- by the way, second century. And that says the earth swallowed these vessels up at an angel's command. So that, so the story there is that an angel at the destruction of the second temple orders the earth to open up her mouth and take um, and receive all the tre- all the treasures of the temple, and then the earth does that. Yeah, and then it says the earth swallowed them up. So no one buried them. It was a, a, an angel did it. Then he then he cites Second Maccabees, that has a different story, totally different story. And it's it's like okay, hang on, I get, I get so twisted. But here's one of my favorite. One of my favorite. <clears throat> There's this this. Uh, because I've looked at the image of the Copper Scroll, the high res, and actually uh, Ryan uh, Blackwelder, yeah, he's gonna he's actually scanning the DJD edition of it, and he's gonna send it to me just to to look at it because there's oh good, I wanted that Beit Beit Hakuk, and Barfield says this is quote because he finds this, and he's he's using um, Martinez's. Florentino Garcia Martinez, who is a, a Dead Sea Scroll scholar, top-notch Dead Sea Scroll scholar, he says, with respect to Mr. Martinez, the Strong's Concordance has no <laughs> word spelled that way. <laughs> oh my word! This word, so he changes the last letter, which is a kaf sofit, to a chet. Yeah, he changes the letter, so now it means koach, and then he says, and then the Strong says that word means wealth. But it also means vigor, lizard, hey, hey, or comedian. Chameleon. Wait, he I, doesn't mention I, that. I, but it, so now this is the wealth of the house phrase that that one nineteen made this big dramatic video about is the wealth of the house. It's based. He changes a letter from the copper scroll from a kaf sofit to a chet because to his ear they sound, and because the word that was in the copper scroll he couldn't find in Strong's concordance. So he said, "Well, sorry, but you know, with respect to Mr. Martinez." The Strong's has no word spelled that way. So let me let look, me let me tell our audience this. So if it's not in Strong's concordance, that's right. Okay, so our our audience knows. Okay, our stance on Strong's concordance. It's not a lexicon. It's a it's the KJV. It's a key, it's, a, it's the King James 
looking at itself in the mirror. Exactly. With, with, and with, what and yeah. and how and now we know. Now we know how uh, how Barfield has done his translation. Are you ready for this? Oh, wait, one more. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got one for you here. Okay. <laughs> he says uh, this is uh, so. He he. Are you looking at Luch? Luach? L- Luach, yeah, that one. He the, the Strong's doesn't give the definition he wants. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what does he, he do? So he uses Google Translate. He goes to Google Translate. <laughs> Even Google Translate will tell you that the word has multiple meanings, including sheet. Yeah, because <laughs> because Strong's Google doesn't give it as the meaning he wants. Yeah, exactly. So, so he goes to Google Luach, Translate. He's like, I got to go somewhere else for this because... The level uh, of scholarship is unbelievable here, ladies and, and, and gentlemen. Also, Paleo-Hebrew is not a language, <clears throat> just so people know. Yeah, it's a font. It's a it's a font, because he says he's got this bold thing. Is the Copper Scroll Mishnaic, Proto Mishnaic? Oh wait, hang on, just a second. Ancient, yeah, yeah, Paleo Hebrew. And, and, like, and what is his answer to that? What is his in bold letters? This is his answer. It, it makes, no, it makes difference. no difference. That's what he says. He says you can't handle the truth. Um, Paleo Hebrew. It's just for everybody knows. Paleo Hebrew is not a language. It's a yeah. font. It's a style of writing. The Hebrew language. So um, th- n- n- this is yeah. no joke. Hang on. This is the one that I really wanted to focus on. First, first of all, uh, right off the bat, our listeners should know that, that uh, Barfield is using, literally u- using Strong's Concordance and Google Translate as his translation for the Copper Scroll. Not, not only that, he's drawing on these others. Like Second Maccabees says that Jeremiah buried it. Yeah. And then this Emek Hamelik, this other book, he says, says these five other people buried it. Yeah, exactly. That lived 100 years away from Jeremiah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like it, but he's drawing all these, stitching them together as if this reminds me of those guys we listened to last week who were quoting the Zohar and, and Midrash Tanhumah from a like, late medieval text to the book of Jasher, which was a forgery, but saying it was ancient. These guys are all drunk with... With, but it's not with wine. They're drunk in some sort of world that they have enough yes. They have enough people saying yes to them around them that they, per, that they keep believing the lie. No doubt. It's the yes sayers. And, and the yes sayers, just like we saw, like we're going to see with, with the Netzari Press's Aramaic English New Testament, there's so many yes people that really aren't qualified to judge. They're not qualified judges, but then it seems like, oh, I've got all these people following, and they're all saying yes, therefore I need to continue. It reminds me of like on that, you know, these singing shows like American Idol where the funny ones to watch are the first week where they come in, and these people who've been singers their whole life think that they're really good because every, all their family and friends keep telling, telling them, them they are. And then the, and then the judges are like, sorry, no, <laughs> you and stink. it breaks their heart. And then they get angry, and they're saying, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I don't need them. I don't need them. I can do this on my own. That's and what Barfield's like, doing right now. He's yelling, at, he's yelling at the camera because people told him that he's not right. Except we're Nazis now. Yeah, but instead we're Nazis. Listen, so he says, yeah, is the Copper Scroll Mishnaic, Proto-Mishnaic, or ancient, or ancient or Paleo-Hebrew? He says, it makes no difference. Okay? That's his answer to that. And then he hymns and haws about something, something totally, I mean, he, he basically deflects. And doesn't talk about that. And then he says, at the end, he has this little blurb. This is the answer that he gives to this. The scroll is Hebrew with a smattering of Greek letters, which right there disproves that it's from an earlier, anything earlier. Attempting to date the scroll has nothing to do with finding the location. 
This path will only take the researcher into a quagmire of academic arguments, and they too will join those since 1952 that have failed to see the forest for the trees. The point is, if the key fits the lock, unlock it. Qumran is the key. In other words, he has no answer whatsoever for the paleography of the scroll. It makes no difference to him. And that shows his, his level of, of, of want for the truth. Is he doesn't want the truth. This whole thing is absolute nonsense. I, I, I cannot believe that he tried using Strong's numbers and Google Translate for his... Uh, uh, this is vexing because you know what's happening here. And his Hebrew, he has Hebrew text that he typed in oh, yeah, on his he, website. Uh, and he's got like a vocal shiva on did, one place where it does, he's got a, did, he's did, got a dagesh inside a resh. But then he says... Here are the words in Hebrew and English. Disregard the vowel point. I could not get it to delete. You know this, why he, he couldn't get he it? He doesn't have competence. You, wait, but in, you know, my, my dad and I realized why he couldn't get it to delete. I forget exactly where that one is. Uh, oh, it's the uh, youth, right? He took uh, out he took out a uh, a cholam a cholam vav, vav and, yeah. the, and the and the the cholam uh, subscript in it. Yeah, it, it, it subscripted it, it subscripted into the resh, not subscripted. That's and Greek, just like you know with his words about. for sisters, he adds he. If you look it up in Strong's, it has a vav there that he deleted also. It, and then, so he's he doesn't realize that the shida in Strong's is spelled with a hey, not an aleph. But he he these words do not apply in any shape or form the way that Strong's maybe, is listing them. Maybe we're maybe we're overshooting here because we're I mean we're talking fast and we're we're excited yeah, it, about this. But let me let me let me explain this real quick to to our audience. The way that the way that, okay English used to be a more inflected language. We still have some inflection in in the English language. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of inflection in the English language. Um, so, well, just like okay, so, so here's a very basic, simple example of inflection. If I'm in the present tense, I say I am going to walk to the store. Now, what I've done is I've put going in front of it, and I've put walk. So going is, it modifies the word walk, okay? If I'm going to put it in the past tense, I inflect it. I, took, I take away the modification of going, and I inflect the word to an ED. I walked to the store, okay? That's a very, very simple, basic idea of inflection. In Hebrew, Hebrew is an inflected language, which means that the word completely changes depending on what tense it's in and how the word is used, and it can also make it change meaning. So, in other words, you put something on the beginning or, and or the end of the word, and the, the letters in the middle uh, basically are changed sometimes. You have letters drop out of words, all sorts of stuff. This actually changes the, the, the meaning of the word significantly. What Barfield has done is he's he doesn't realize that words have inflected here, so yeah, he doesn't have knowledge of Hebrew. It's it's absolutely evident. So the reason so the reason he takes out the vav is because the vav there is is part of the inflection of the word. It means that the word has now changed and it doesn't mean what it used to. So he takes out that vav out of the word. He just takes it out and decides that that this word now applies and that's why he can't get rid of this dogish which is a, a yeah. dot he can't it's get ooh. Yeah, yeah he can't get rid of it because now because in hebrew if you take the the vav out that dogish has to go somewhere and it goes to the resh which is obvious oh i couldn't get rid of it you couldn't get rid of it because you changed the word and image number six he has spelled backwards he he means to have it kaf vav chet but he, I think he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, 
in any case, it, he doesn't. He's not happy with the spelling of a word, a key word, and so he changes the spelling, and then goes to Strong's Concordance, finds the um, one of the many meanings: wealth, lizard, chameleon. He likes wet. He likes wealth. So now this is the wealth of the house that one nineteen talks about in but this that, mysterious wealth of the house. Could this be the temple treasure? Well, yeah. So he gonna he likes that now. And he's going to run with it. That's the other thing that uh, that we haven't told our audience. Uh, Rob has Rob now has asked One Nineteen Ministries three times in three separate emails. Please let us know who is doing your translation of the Copper Scroll. And you know what their response is? They will not respond to it. They keep deflecting. Yeah, it keeps deflecting. And the reason why is because they're using Google Translate and Strong's or numbers. He doesn't know, or he's like, or he, but he won't tell me he doesn't know. Yeah, he's just like. Well, you're being aggressive. I'm just asking, who did your translation? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not being mean. And I'm this not, was this was not a Hoff goes off moment. I actually read the no. emails. Uh, Rob it's was just, being. It's it's really it's really. Okay, so I, so because really of, let's wrap this segment up with uh, some new music that I have made uh, specific for this occasion. We will we will put it into the repertoire though mm-hmm. for other uh, episodes if we need it. Um, and, uh, so this is, this is made for Jim Barfield and 119 Ministries. You're a legend in your own mind. Your mom goes to college. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. There you have it. Uh, our no education clip now, uh, is given to Jim Barfield and 119 Ministries. They don't need no education. They don't, yeah. Why would they need that? Okay, let's move on. Um, so that took a long time, and I apologize. I'm not sure how long that, what are we at, a half an hour? Good gracious, this show is going to go long. Um, <laughs> so two weeks ago, Rob wrote an article about Andrew Gabriel Roth's Aramaic New Testament. Um, and so I let me get my notes down here. Da, 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 da. Sorry, guys. So basically, I wanted to talk with Rob a little bit, and we'll hash out some of this stuff. There's a lot of people who believe that the apostolic scriptures of the New Testament, especially, I mean, there's a whole society or whatever, I don't know, a whole group in Israel um, that basically have dedicated themselves to proving that the uh, synoptic gospels were written in Aramaic. And so Rob has written about this. We're going to talk about the Apostolic Scriptures being written in Aramaic. So one of the key words that we're going to hear a lot in this argument is the Peshitta. And uh, Rob, why don't you explain for us a little bit about what the Peshitta is and why people think that the, uh, that the Aramaic of the Peshitta is the oldest. There is a text people probably have heard of the Peshitta before. Um, maybe not, but it... It is a translation of, there's actually a Peshitta for almost the same uh, list of books that we have a Septuagint for. In other words, all the books of the Tanakh, I believe. And then there's uh, books that are in what we call the Apocrypha, you know, a handful of, you know, like the Maccabees and uh, I, I drawn a blank on some of them, like Baruch, you know, some of these other wisdom of Ben Sirah, these mm-hmm. kinds of books that maybe people have seen as part of the Apocrypha. And uh, also books of the, of the apostolic writings. Um, over probably a hundred or so years, 
after the destruction of the temple, these works were translated, some from Hebrew, like some uh, Hebrew Tanakh, into what we call a Syriac, which is a dialect of Aramaic, up from centering up in north, like around Antioch and in that area. Um, and then the apostolic writings were later translated into the same dialect. And, and then over time, that tradition, particularly with what we call the New Testament or, you know, the apostolic writings, um, was reworked and uh, kind of there's some different than textual traditions of that Aramaic New Testament, for lack of a better word. Uh, the Peshitta is one of these. And there are, um, uh, in the, in the Peshitta tradition, claims that it is like, quote, the original. And the logic is this, Yeshua spoke Aramaic, and this language, which is, we call, scholars call it Syriac, um, is a dialect of Aramaic. And so these are the words of Yeshua in Aramaic, therefore they must be Yeshua's actual words. And uh, Natsari Press, like Andrew Gabriel Roth, they, they come out and point, make that claim. And I quote, I cite that in my article. Um, so let me say, this, let me, let, let me re- these are, the, this is not a translation. These are the very words of Yeshua written down as he spoke them. So in other words, people believe that this, and it has enough of this kind of Eastern kind of mystery about it that people want to, it's an appealing um, claim to those who are frustrated with maybe Western church uh, Christianity. You know, this idea of Jesus being from the East, you know. I actually, is, I haven't told you this, but I've actually thought about now uh, possibly writing my uh, my final paper at Torah Resource Institute on uh, the language of the disciples. Because it, to me, it makes sense that if the disciples were from different communities, uh, what region they were in and whatnot would uh, give us, an, you know, perhaps each region had, for instance, if one region might have been predominantly Greek speaking, then it would, it would, uh, it might be interesting to look and see how predominantly Greek it was. Therefore, would the would they have grown up speaking Greek or would they have grown up speaking Aramaic? And the question that I would have is, if the Messiah came and even if he spoke Aramaic, if all of his disciples were not fluent in Hebrew or Aramaic, it would only make sense that the lingua franca of the time, Greek, would be spoken even among his disciples. Sure, and, and Yeshua and his disciples, they were spreading a wide net, you know, they cast a wide net. Mm. They, well, your work, your work on John 3 and Nicodemus uh, and, and the idea that, that uh, Yeshua was speaking Greek with Nicodemus has basically made me, I mean, in my opinion, that's a slam dunk. Anyway, okay, well, let's not get into that. And there, right are, pl- there are several places in Matthew where I can show the same thing, where so, it's, but this is Greek, you uh, know, this Greek, and, the, and if you do it, if you try to do it in, in other languages, it doesn't work. Um, but here, here's a, a point about the Peshitta. So now we have this book called the Kaburus Manuscript that has all this uh, glow, this sensationalist glow about it. And that is this text written in the Middle Ages that had uh, a little note written on the margin saying this was copied from an ancient text that was 100 years after 
the Great Persecution or something like that. And so, oh, hang on, just a sec. We're we're going to listen to. I I want you to answer. I want you to respond to that when when we play. I have a clip oh, okay. about that. Okay. Uh, first, I want to run back to the Peshitta real quick. Uh, so Peshitta is an Aramaic. It's it's in a it's a uh, what, what we call Syriac. What's it's the a, what's the date of the Peshitta? Do you think Peshitta dates between third and fourth century? Third and fourth century. Okay, so yeah, common the, era. That many people believe that. This, we, and, and for the sake of our conversation, we're calling we're talking about what we call the Peshitta New Testament or Peshitta Apostolic Writings. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the, the Peshitta. A lot of people say, "Oh, the Peshitta is uh, the original words of Yeshua." However, scholars have basically said that it's actually a translation from Greek into Aramaic. Um, and there, the the reason why is because, uh, for instance, I have one note here. It says the tr- the Peshitta transliterates the word namas, law, instead of using the Aramaic word for law. Right, so, that's one example. So yeah. that, that's just one example. Why in the world, if it was really done in Aramaic, why would they transliterate a Greek word? Why wouldn't they just use the Aramaic word for law? That makes no sense. So anyway, let's listen to Andrew Gabriel Roth. This is uh, actually first. Let's let, uh, first. I'm going to read you a quote. Okay, here's a quote. Uh, this was a Facebook post. I want you to uh, respond to this. This person says the, this is about the Boris manuscript. I don't venerate the Peshitta the way Roth does, but I beg to differ with this article he's talking about. Your uh, article over the translation issue. There are too many Greek variants that point to Aramaic original, particularly in Matthew. If you find two or more Greek variants, you will often find an Aramaic word that can translate both variants because of the vagueness. While in Greek, the two variants are incompatible. Uh, Boom. Boom shakalaka. You're done. Yeah, well, here, here I can give him a couple <laughs> examples right there from the, where, where Yeshua is named. You will call his name Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Well, anybody who has, even if you all you have is the King James Version of the Bible, and you read, I will call you Abraham, right? I will call you, you know, we're, all these people are given names, and, and the biblical style is often to give a reason for the name. And if you, even if you, all you have is Strong's Concordance, and you look at the name and then the reason given, you'll see that the, it's often coming from the same root. In other words, there's a, there's a meaning with the name associated it, with it. You read Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew, where it says, you will call his name Yeshua, he will save, he will save, and there's a connection there. Well, if you knew Hebrew, you'd say, oh, yeah, Yeshua is kind of, you know, that's a, that has to do with this root salvation. You can find that out from Strong's looking at, at, at how Yeshua is used in the Tanakh. And then, but and in, even in the Greek, there's a wordplay between Jesus and Sose. They both have a dub, you know. They have this this similar sound. He will save. Okay, so but there's there's actually a wordplay that would works in the Greek. It would work if you imagined the Hebrew, but we don't have to have the Hebrew to know that there's a connection. But in the Peshitta, it uses a completely different word that has no. So it, it doesn't work in the Peshitta. It's a, no, not at all. It says you will call his name Yeshua because he will give people life. There's no, it uses uh, the, the word chaya, to live, which it, it is explaining the meaning, but it's not giving any, it's not preserving any kind of wordplay. We have a similar situation where Yeshua tells the, tells the story of the, the parable of the landowner, right? And he sends the, the, the messengers and they beat him and then he says, I'll send my son, right? And then 
And then what do they do? They kill the son, right? And then he quotes Psalm 118. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Well, the idea is if, if that's a word play, it's not there in the Peshitta. The Peshitta misses it entirely. That's it. So there's things of that nature that, uh, and we could go on and on and on. But um, I, most people, I'm, I, I'm, let me I'm, put it this way. I haven't met anybody who has competence in both Greek and Aramaic that will say that Aramaic is, is original. I have met people who've dabbled in the Aramaic and don't really know any Greek who say the Aramaic is the original, but they're not qualified to make such a judgment. So, but they sell a lot of books. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons? Okay, um, let's, listen, let's listen to a clip. Okay, I got uh, Now, this show is actually a little bit interesting because it's different because both Rob and I have selected clips that we have not played for each other. <laughs> so this could get very interesting. I'm going to play one of my clips first. This is uh, Andrew Gabriel Roth himself. Talking about, I think I you know, I pulled this clip over a week ago because it was going to be for last show, but we went over on time. I think this is Roth talking about the Peshitta. He might be talking about the Kaboras manuscript, but I think he's talking about the Peshitta. Let's listen. If we can talk about the Greek going back to the second century, you know, and I know that it does, and I can find places, let's say, oh, I don't know, 600 of them, where there was a mistranslation into Greek that could only have happened in Aramaic, then the source of, that got mistranslated from must be older. So with the camel and rope that I just described, the only way that makes sense is if there is an Aramaic written original with G-M-L-A on there. If it was oral, they would have heard the vowels. They would not have made that mistake. And so, therefore, however old the Greek is, and yeah, I love it because it's a great friend when I need it, it ultimately bows down to its Semitic master, which, by the way, so does the Septuagint on the Old Testament side, the Greek translation of the Tanakh. Okay, this clip is actually very interesting because basically this shows the huge flaw that people have if they try to say that the uh, apostolic scriptures were originally written in, in uh, Aramaic. What Andrew Gabriel Roth just said there, and I'm sorry that I said this is about the Peshitas, he's just talking about uh, Aramaic primacy, but. Um, what Andrew Gabriel Roth says here is very telling. Basically, what he's saying is you can't trust your Greek manuscripts. You can't tr- trust your Greek Bible. You can't trust the, the translations that you have. Because what now Roth can do is he can go back and he can say, oh, it says this. No, it doesn't really say that because that's not what the Aramaic would have said. He doesn't have an Aramaic original. He doesn't have an Aramaic uh, anything that's older than the Greek. But he, he can guess now. He can say, oh, the Aramaic would have said this. So it, your Bible is wrong. It doesn't really say that. It really says this. It puts doubt in. And not only that, but it says that we can't trust our Bibles. Now let's go back, though. I want, I want you to re- respond to this. Do you, do you need me to play any of it again? No, no. Just the whole thing. There's like two examples. Is one of the famous ones is this gamala referring to it's a heavy rope, not a camel. And I, I go into this. Um, you know, there's a lot of places where Roth will find a word play because a word is spelled the same or very similarly. And then he'll have this wonderful imaginative drosh on the significance of this word play. But in a place like this, where we have a word spelled, you know, Gamala, which, which, uh, 
he claims means heavy rope rather than camel. This is one where uh, it's easier for you know the the idea of the camel going through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. He wants to say no. The original Aramaic is is uh, a heavy rope. He he there he doesn't see any significance in wordplay or anything. He just says no. It's not. It doesn't mean that the vowels are wrong. It should be this. It's just on his own authority. And in, and in fact. If you look at all the Jewish sources, just for that example, we don't have any, any ancient Jewish Aramaic sources where this word means rope. None. We do have, in the Babylonian Talmud, we do have rabbis talking about an elephant going through the eye of a needle. So we do have in Jewish tradition a, this ridiculous, memorable image, which is what it's supposed to be, of a huge animal going through a tiny eye of a needle. Right, and Yeshua uses unclean animals to describe unrepentant people all the time: swine, serpents, wolves. Right. He he. Parable, later, even in Matthew, Yeshua talks about gnats and camels. There's that word again, but there Roth translates camel. He how come he doesn't say gnat and heavy rope there? <laughs> right. The idea is he's picking and choosing the earliest. And, and not only that, the earliest, you know, our Peshitta vocalization tradition itself reads camel, not heavy rope. So he's, he's going against the, the, the Peshitta scribes themselves, saying that they've interpreted their own tradition incorrectly. And the, the final note I put on there is the earliest suggestion that this could be read as heavy rope is from a Syriac uh, monk in the 10th century. So medieval. There, we have no data from ancient Aramaic, suggesting that this word meant heavy rope. None. But Roth wants to take it and use it as a, a wedge. He does the same thing with this idea of Simon the leper. He says it's not leper, it's jar maker. You know, and oh, it's, yeah, it's the, yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I, heard, I heard something about that. He, he, he basically says that... It's, uh, it's the same thing. Yeshua and, and he's would... He's, he, he's point blank wrong Yeshua he says that Yeshua would have never entered a house of a leper that that wasn't allowed and that he that that the would point have... is is that this is the person that that Yeshua had healed the leper he had healed and and what we're being told by the the evangelist is that this is that person that the leper that he had healed it yeah. doesn't say that he was still a leper um and not only that not only that he the same word he wants to revocalize this word uh garba in in ancient Syriac, it could mean wineskin, it could mean robe, it can mean jar. So he just chooses one that he likes. But it's it's but it's not even good Aramaic for it to because the word maker's not there. If you really want to force it to mean jar, it would mean Simon the jar, and that's not how people were referred to. In ter- it it's, <laughs> it's nonsensical, and. Uh, Okay, let's let's listen yeah. to another clip of Roth before we uh, get into a Hoff goes off moment. Hang on, just a sec. Here we go. Now, are there any written versions of the old? What's the oldest Aramaic written version known? For the for the New Testament, well, there is there's we're still studying this, but I will say that the Kaburis manuscript has a bookmark. There's my all yeah. Aramaic manuscripts have something called a colophon, and this way you don't have to guess you know, based on rough script styles over a per- certain period of time. The bookmark will tell you 
who made it, where it was made, and the year. The colophon for Kaboris says made that it was a copy of, of something that was made 100 years after the Great Persecution. Now I want to tell you what I'm going to say is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of the people who are the custodians of the Kaboris manuscript right now, and they've published their findings, that that means the first persecution of believers under Nero. So if Nero persecuted those believers in the year 64, Sounds pretty convincing, Rob. Burned, that means Kaboris is a copy of, of something from 164 of the Common Era. And if, if people will debate that, in a sense, because sometimes the pages wear out and they get replaced, so they date the older pages. But we have full codices, certainly by the 4th century. And that's basically what you're looking at with the Greek. If we're really, really fair, when you get a little fragment that says, what is truth, or chi, the most common word in the Greek language, and you date that to about the year 125. But in terms of full books, collections being put together, the full canon, you're looking at the 4th century there, and you're looking at the 4th century for the Aramaic as well. So let's Okay, hang on just a sec. Uh, before, you, before you go off on this, uh, I want to just say, that is absolutely not true. P66 is, is, a, uh, is a manuscript of John, which dates to 200. Well, it sounds like we have Mark now from the 1st century. Yeah, uh, what, Greek. whether or not, uh, well, we know that we have a fragment of Mark from the first century. He, he, so he's discounting fragments. He's basically saying he wants full, full manuscripts and there's none until the 4th century. That's not true. That's ju- simply not true. P66 is a manuscript uh, and, and uh, quite a full manuscript at that. And uh, I used P66 when I, when I uh, tried to show that uh, Michael Rood was wrong about his chronological gospels because Michael Rood wants to say that uh, John... 6.4 is not in uh, any early manuscripts. It's not true. It's in, it's in P66. Um, anyway, so let's go back to Ro- uh, what Roth says about this colophon. Uh, it, it sounds pretty convincing, doesn't it? Sounds like, uh, oh, there it is. It's, it's, time, it's time stamped. The, uh, the writer of the Kaboris manuscript gave us a, a time stamp, and uh, it just sounds like, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much, you know, Rob. That's, that's Rob, like the, you can't uh, handle the truth. That's right. You can't handle the truth, Rob. It's it's similar reasoning that Roth uses with why it's heavy rope, because he's leaning on uh, this medieval Syriac monk who says it is. Well, let's let's talk about and, the colophon. So therefore, we we can say that okay, what he says then is true a thousand years prior. So let's talk about the colophon. It, this says that I mean what what it, I I know the answer to this, but I'm leading you I'm leading you into it, Rob. Tell me why the colophon is you know it says that you know Roth now dates it at, as 165. Is it an original colophon? Who knows? Who no? Well, first of all, what that means is the per, the copyist, the medieval copyist who wrote the Kabur what is called the Kaburis text manuscript. Has a has a marker put it put this note in there, saying that I copied this from a book that was what Roth claims is from one sixty three or one sixty four or whatever. So it'd be like me saying, uh, it's like it's like it's Joseph like me, Smith. It's me. It's like it's me. It's like Joseph. <laughs> yeah, Joseph Smith. <laughs> no wait, copper. Wait, copper plates is Jim Barfield. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, it's gold plates for Smith. 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it would be like me saying, r- typing up a, uh, a a letter on my computer and saying, this is a copy of a letter from Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, I, I basically. I mean, the, the, so, you know, how many witnesses is, is one? Are we just going to take this guy's word for it? Is that how courts work? We just take, <laughs> okay. <laughs> done and done. Done. Okay, but Sealed deal. But okay, so but he, I mean, he he seems pretty convinced that this is this is. The, oh, and oh, what he talks about the custodians. Oh I've yeah, emailed. I've emailed the guy. I think it's Doctor Michael Rice. He's one of these custodians. That's I've got some audio clips from this guy. Okay, let's listen to some audio um, clips. What do you got? Anyway, so so this Kaburis manuscript. If you do some searching on the internet, you find some interesting things about the people who have it. There's pictures of the, they have like the ceremony with candles around it. And there's a guy kneeling before it, and he like That's weird. apparently is interpreting uh, the original words of of Yeshua. He says Yeshua, and the same guy doesn't believe that there's a Holy Spirit. He thinks it's a f- elemental force of nature. What? And yeah, there, well, wait till you hear some. Of this okay, stuff. let's go with one of your clips. He what also you believes that the, yeah, the uh, never mind. Go ahead. So we have what? What? what cl- Play the first. R- are they R- labeled numbers? Yeah, rice one. Rice one. Yeah. Expecting the Greek mindset to be able to explain to us the meaning of the words of the man named Yeshua. His name was not Jesus, by the way. Jesus, it was not the copy of a Greek god, Zeus. His name was Yeshua. Expecting Wait, the what? language to give us... Wait, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. <laughs> Wait, let's go back here. This guy actually thinks that Yesu is a is a uh it's from Zeus. well so does roth what yeah roth you didn't read my whole review man no i did not read your whole review yeah, i'm sorry yeah. i skimmed roth it roth believes that jesus comes from zeus no way yeah 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 kate we'll play this clip, <sighs> clip <man. laughs> uh, just for our audience that is absolutely not true and it's nonsense that's totally not true anyway let's listen to the rest of the clip his name was not jesus by the way Jesus. It was not the copy of a Greek god Zeus. His name was Yeshua. First, okay, I got it. I got to speak to it. I'm sorry. I can't let it go. For uh, for those listening who think that that's true, Yesu is uh, is the well, way. Gotta just read my review. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. like I know there's a ton of there. It's number six. Number six. Okay. okay. Number go six. My review. Yeah. Go to torresourceblog.com. Yeah. Read uh, his. By review. the way, yeah. In in the ancient Jewish writers, when they mentioned Zeus by name, and even in the book of Acts, they spell it Dios with a, <laughs> with a Dalit. It's, it's not, not a Dalit in Greek. It's, it's not a Zeta. It's not Zeus. It's di- so people don't... A Delta. It's, it's, it's just one of those false etymologies. It's a folk etymology. Anti, anti-faith. Okay, here we go. We're going to continue with this. Uh, yeah, we're going to continue with this clip. Expecting the Greek language to give us the, the pointers, the keys, the tools that he explained in his native Aramaic would be like expecting a uh, kindergarten class to give us a dissertation in nuclear physics. It's just not going to happen. What? And on the twist of a word, everything changes. That last bit, I want to be one of our new clips. <laughs> Twist of a word. <laughs> Everything changes. Play that last little. Okay, yeah, yeah, here we go. Okay. Let's listen to it again. Everything changes. Oh, hang on. No, I gotta a little go more for, than that. Yeah, I got to go further than that. A word. Oh, man. I'm still not going far enough. Let's listen. And on the twist of a word, 
everything changes. <laughs> okay, okay, so, uh, so the idea is, he says, expecting the Greek text to help you understand, to tell you what Yeshua meant, is like asking a, like a grade schooler or a kindergartner yeah. to, to give you a dissertation on like physics or something. I'm like, okay. Now, can you play my uh, Beezus quote now? Yes, here we go. Beezus. This is from a movie my family likes to watch. Okay, here we go. How can I be normal with a name like Beezus? <laughs> Could ever love a girl named Beezus? <laughs> Jesus? Uh, let me let me just say this i cannot believe that people think that we're bullies and meanies listen to what's going on yeah well at least on the playground listen to what's happening stealing lunch money listen to what's happening in the messianic movement people this is the nonsense play the next well i don't know if this guy's mess would call himself messianic but it's still nonsense but he's but he's he's one of the custodians of the the Boris Kodak. I've emailed him. I haven't heard back from him either. I've emailed him but, asking about. But 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 he influences the Messianic movement because now Roth is is uh, using him as one of his uh, stepping stones. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead, play the next uh, Rice clip. Yeshua spoke two thousand years ago about an actual elemental force that lived within us. In Aramaic, it was called Ruka de Kudsha. It's been translated as the Holy Spirit, but there's no such. There's no justification for translating this Ruka de Kucha as some kind of a disembodied spirit being. Is he speaking... What? What's Ruka? Well, Ruka de Kucha is Aramaic for Ruach HaKodesh. Okay. As some kind of a... As, as our listeners can now tell, I do not speak Aramaic, and I fully admit that. Translating this Ruka de Kucha as some kind of a disembodied spirit being. What it speaks of is an actual feminine elemental force... That when you invite it into activity, undoes the effects of your errors and teaches you the truth. Wow. Okay. Can you? I, so I, that's like that's like gobbledygook to me. Um, he, he's it's a feminine elemental. I think he said a feminine elemental force. This is the. These are the people that you know. So and he he kept saying that Yeshua taught a technology. That Yeshua brought some kind of technology to humanity, like from a different domain, a different realm, and that people can't understand him. Uh, was that the end of that clip? That was the end of that clip. But play, play but, another one. But th- that guy, uh, look, th- uh, Roth is using this guy who is just listen to him, and then you know Barfield's using Philip Copens or Coppins or whatever. And it's like, and people are buying they, they this despi- stuff. These people have despised instruction. Yeah, you know, exactly. Springer and I are reading through Proverbs. They have despised discipline. That's absolutely right. They've despised discipline. Yeah. And this is, this is a good example for, let it be a lesson for all of us. But, but here's what ticks me off, Rob, is that they're leading other people. They're leading people. Yeah. They're leading people down. And now, you know, when somebody says to me, I'm messianic, you know what the first thing I do is roll my eyes. I think, oh, vey, here we go. What's it going to be? Which flavor? Yeah, yeah, what flavor is it going to be? Uh, Paleo Hebrew word pictures? Is it going to be two house theory? Is it going to be copper scroll? Maybe we're going to have Aramaic primacy now, and and Andrew Gabriel, you know, maybe somebody's walking around with Michael Rood's uh, chronological gospels now. It, it, this is what the enemy is doing. This he's he is making he's trying it to flood flood the world with nonsense, with, with distraction, with, with and stupidity. Poison. 
And yeah. and that's what's ticking me off. Okay, let's go with number three. I spoke, thought, and thought in Aramaic, not Greek. Perhaps my input. Oh, pause. I, gotta, I, I need to set this one up. The recording on this one isn't as strong. This is a book that this guy's writing or has written where he, he, it's a conversation between Jesus and a disciple. And so when, when he says, I spoke in Aramaic, not Greek, he's, he's, he's reading the Jesus voice. This is like conversations with God or something like that. Like he's imagined this conversation between a person and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, you're, you've been wrong. You've, li- you've trusted the Bible. You, you know, you need the ancient Aramaic. I didn't teach in Greek. I taught in Aramaic. So, li- so when he's, this next clip is him speaking. He's for like, Je- for uh, Jesus. What do, you call, no, what do you call that? We're somewhat like in, like, it's Shirley MacLaine or whatever, you know, they, uh, they transmit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like what Ramtha or whatever. What's it? Ramtha. <laughs> no, but there's a, this like when they, they transmit the, the voice. So he's transmitting Jesus' message. Okay, here we go. That's, that's the picture. I spoke, thought, and thought in Aramaic, not Greek. Perhaps my input, the meanings I put forward in the context in which I originally met them, might be more valuable than the thoughts of Greek experts. Do you honestly think if my students did not grasp the depth of what I taught after three years of personal instruction from my own lips, that the Greek minds that established your Western traditions had a chance of grasping what I alone understood and have been able to apply? 2,000 years ago, my message was beyond the comprehension of the world mind. It is time for my message to be understood. Whoa, 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 whoa! This is another thing that I that I, that really ticks me off. People channeling. Say, well, not only that, that's but, the word. It's like cha- it's channel. Uh, they call it channeling. Channeling, yeah, they, yeah. That's what. Um, uh, what really the ticks world me, mind. What really he ticks says, me off is that people think that that there's all this hidden meaning. Yeshua did not come and give some hidden meaning. What he did was he spoke in and he spoke in language that we can all understand. And and people are going to fight me on that, but any atheist can read the New Testament and say, "Oh, I understand exactly what it's saying." Jesus says here, uh, "You know, I came to save the world, basically," and they're going to reject it. They still know what it says and what it means. It takes the Holy Spirit to to place the application into our lives. So that Insert yeah, elemental feminine force. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Which is in everybody's heart. He already says everybody has this force. The Holy Spirit. But in all seriousness, the Holy Spirit is what comes into our lives. And this is how we apply the truth of scriptures into our lives. It's not that the Bible is written in some mystical uh, form that, uh, that we can't understand. It's written in common human language. We're able to understand it now. It, once the, it's the Holy Spirit that we have to have to to apply that that uh, truth to our lives. Do I have one more from him? You do. Okay. You want me to play it? Yeah. Here we go. Well, to me, the bottom line that I've come to, the conclusion I've come to, is that unfortunately you can't speak Jesus in Greek. You can't and speak what? what? Hang on, just like you can't speak what? You, I think he says something like like you can't get it from Greek. Basically, uh, unfortunately, you can't speak Jesus in Greek. You can't. You can't speak Jesus in Greek. You can't it's, it's speak. A, it's yeah, I got. Weird I got you. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, you can't speak Jesus in Greek. And most of what has come into the Western scholarship and into the Western world, theologically, comes from the Greek. 
And the Greek was the most developed, material, and intellectually oriented language on the planet at the time Jesus came along in his native Aramaic and delivered a teaching. And that language, that whole mindset, a, a language is a mindset, never matured spiritually into anything that could comprehend what Jesus thought. And so that message has been, by and large, lost and missed. And so what passes for Jesus' teachings, to a great degree, is not Jesus' teachings at all. When you go into the Kabor's manuscript, and for those who might not know it, last year I was made director of the foundation that controls the oldest known copy of the New Testament in Aramaic on the planet, called the Kabor's manuscript, False. because it was found in a monastery in the Tibor River in Turkey back in the mid-60s. And in that text, when you go into the Aramaic, you start to see a whole different message from the message filtered through the Greek mind. In other words, putting on a set of glasses. In other words, you can't trust your Bible. And so many of the key teachings of Jesus in the Aramaic have been turned not only off kilter, but actually 180 degrees out of phase. So in other words, you can't trust your Bible. That's the point. Don't trust your Bible, folks. Because you don't have the original Kaboris manuscript. And he's director of, of this. Yeah, this is the uh, guy that Roth is, is, is using as a stepping stone for his theology. I think that Roth, when Roth says the people who are the custodians of the Kaboris manuscript, I think he's referring to this guy. Now, just so it's known, I've emailed this Dr. Rice, the guy we've been listening to. I haven't heard back. I asked him, do you, do you possess the manuscript? Is it available for public ever to come view? And then I put, where did you, I said, I studied Aramaic in college. Where did you study? And I haven't heard back. Because <laughs> there's other things I found from this guy that shows me he doesn't know much about Aramaic. You should, if anybody wants real entertainment, you can read his trans, translation of the Lord's Prayer. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like this new agey kind of, it's really interesting stuff. That it's fascinating. <laughs> Ding. Um, okay. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to just say this. I, I mean, we'll wrap it up, I guess. But this is the uh, this is the end. I'll be all. You know, peop- yeah. Pe- people might think uh, people might think that we're mean and whatnot. That's fine. To be honest with you. These people are coming into the Messianic movement. They are plaguing the Messianic movement with horrible scholarship. They have no regard for the people that are listening to them. They don't care about the people that are... In, in my opinion, if people want to see me as, a, as, a, as the theology police and a, and a meanie or whatever, a bully on the playground, then so be it. I have an obligation. Just with this podcast alone, I have an obligation to the listeners of this podcast I have an obligation to the people who are reading whatever I might put out on my, on my blog. Uh, I have an obligation to, to those people. And my obligation is to warn people and show people that, that this is nonsense. This is, like, this is the, what they call, you know, the, the watchman on the wall, the note stream. That, you know, if, if we know something, if we're aware of something, just because it's clear as day from, you know, when we've been blessed by God and supporters to be in a place where we can stand on the wall and look. And we have, we have been equipped with specific, not every tool. We don't have every tool. We have tools for what our task is. 
So people who are saying, oh, even Tor Resource doesn't have everything right. Well, what is that? That's just mud. That's not, yeah. that's nonsense. Yeah. You know, if there's a specific issue, bring it forward and we'll look at it. But just to go out and make these claims, well, no, nobody's perfect. Well, we know nobody's perfect. No one's saying we're perfect. So that's just noise. The signal is this, is that we've been equipped with very specific tools. We use those tools. We, we ask for that the Heavenly Father continue to help us to be good stewards of these tools and that we would be effective to the feeding and protection of his flock, of Yeshua's body on the earth. That's what we're doing. And if we are standing on the wall and we're looking through a, a special fancy microscope that lets, or, or, you know, I don't know, night vision that your Strong's Concordance doesn't give you, and we can see resolution and granularity in issues that your strong concordance doesn't get you, and then you want to say that we're bullies because we're telling you what we see, then it's not on us. No That's doubt. That's on you. This is on Jim Barfield. It's on 119. They are, I don't know how to explain what they're doing. Otherwise, they're, they are, they're, they're despising correction. And truth. They're despising truth. truth. Yeah, they're despising Discipline. They, they will not be disciplined. They will not learn. And when I say discipline, I mean correction. I mean, there's instruction. It's like Caleb was saying, it's not, this is not this mysterious hidden treasure. I mean, look at Barfield's quotes. One of them says the, the Lord himself is going to reveal where the treasure is. Then why is he out digging for it? Yeah. You know, one of his sources says Jeremiah buried, buried it, which he puts in the mid 400s. Then he, then he says all oh, these other five guys from this rabbinic text buried it a hundred years later and then it says it's going to be hidden until god says so so even if there is treasure somewhere out there you know this idea of spending all this money and time digging for it when you could spend that same resources to actually get an education first to deal responsibly with the word of god no doubt tells me that they don't have proper fear of god they don't they don't fear god's judgment it says in the book of James, Yaakov, he says, don't, don't be a teacher. Don't run out there to be a teacher because teachers are going to have a heavier judgment. I'm like, I'm scared for these guys. If they don't repent, and when I say repent, I mean change their stubborn uh, disposition towards, towards this falsity, then they're, back to the Dr. Kaiser's quote, that's, a, that's deep mischief they're headed for, and that's a judgment I... I don't want anything to do with with that. Um, That's a scary situation to be in. People can drag uh, my reputation through the mud all they want. I can can be put down all you want. They can't do anything to me that they didn't do worse to Yeshua. But the point is, is that I will will have my reputation dragged through the mud, mud if it means standing up for my Messiah and standing up for the truth. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is the truth. If you have a problem with what I'm saying, if you have a problem with my theology, if you have a problem with what I've taught on this show or what I've taught on in my blog, then by all means, bring your objection forward. I am more than willing to listen. But the point is, is that I'm not going to stand by while all these guys, all of them, Barfield, now 119 Ministries, uh, Chuck Missler, uh, you name it. These guys are dragging 
Messianic Judaism, they're making it a laughing stock. Christians hear the word Messianic Judaism now, or messian- a Messianic faith, or whatever you want to say, Messianic, and people just roll their eyes, just like me. I do. I roll my eyes. I think, oh, great, here we go. And that's part of, I think, some of the some of the groups that have said, oh, we just need to separate from those, and we just need to be Jewish and keep our, you know, adopt rabbinic halakha as the definition See, but of that's, Judaism. that's nonsense that's, in and of itself, too. Exactly. It, I mean... Just so ridiculous. And the worst part is, is that people like Barfield and, and uh, 119 Ministries now are putting stock into these, into these books that are anti-Yeshua, essentially. They're Kabbalistic works from people who aren't believers. And they're leading people down uh, this, false, this false road. They're putting a horrible name on, Messian- on the Messianic faith. They're making us all look like idiots. And we're supposed to stand by and, and just, just, hey, man, love each other. Let's just all get along. Let's love each other, man. And, and by the way, I might find some buried treasure. Can you send me money? Yeah, exactly. Oh, don't, don't forget to spend, send your money in. And That's... I'll make a real good-looking video with music and voice. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It really is a shame. And then when I email them and ask them, who did the translation? It's like a deflection ad infinitum. You know, it's like, I still don't know. I still don't know who did their translation. I do. And, and Ryan Bob. Blackwell, they're our friend at, uh, at James who's Bob. studying. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. No, I was just saying that he's, he too is looking at it. I mean, he's studying under Marty, Dr. Abeg. Um, These guys don't care. They, they don't they, care yeah, about any scholarship. Care. They don't care about any, any they facts. They care about video production. They care about, and yeah. Sensationalism. They care about making the next buck, is what it sounds like to me. It reminds me of the of those magazines that are in the checkout line at the grocery store. You might, everybody might think that's harsh. I cannot, for the life of me, think why One Nineteen Ministries. I mean, people can read my read my blog post. Why One Nineteen Ministries would uh, would continue to back something that is obviously false? I'm pretty sure that the only reason why would be because that's what people want to hear. Exactly. Ears. Not only this, because one of the things that John, I think it's John, yeah, John, he said in an email was, "Well, I'm not really convinced one way or another." Well, yeah, then ex- why are you promoting these videos? Yeah, why exactly. Then why are you all this resources yeah. to create these really fancy, well done, uh, emotionally charged, yeah. charged, yeah, videos on towards one side? How come you're not making equally amount of videos showing the other side? Because that doesn't sell. Exactly. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's it's. Uh, and it it causes me just to say they don't have anything about. I mean, I don't I don't want to spend any time reading anything that they publish. Oh, they've put they've put a black mark on their scholarship now. The fact that they won't if they would have just when I contacted them, if they would have just said, okay, yep, we need to pull this. Uh, evidence shows that we're wrong. Let's pull it. They would have saved some face with me. But now everything they put out has a black mark on it. It's like no, you haven't. You know, you've shown yourself to not do research first of all, and second of all, to be haughty and arrogant against scholarship. So when they themselves know that they don't have the skills in Hebrew yeah. or training in Hebrew to even deal with the copper scroll, but the they do, the but, but, but Rob, they do have Google translate and so, Strong's, so concordance. And Strong's yeah. concordance for a Mishnaic Hebrew, a text from the first century. Ladies yeah, and gentlemen, I, I my, ah, my, go ahead. My line, my favorite line is the one it's like, uh, with due respect to Mr. Martinez, <laughs> The word he suggests here isn't in Strong's Concordance. <laughs> I'm like, 
Oh my. It's beyond it, 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 it's arrogant, it's ignorant and uh, it's very vexing because what what it does is it just puts a bad name on all of us who want to say say that we are messianic. It's uh it just makes us all look like fools. It does. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to reject this uh strongly and uh, to make a voice saying, no, this is not who we are. This is not what we represent. We do not represent bad scholarship like this. Ladies and gentlemen, the last thing I want to say is, uh, you know what, you, you can always uh, look at other sources, of course. But you don't need this sensationalism. You know what's sensational? What is sensational is that our Messiah came and died for us. What's sensational is that God became man and dwelt among us. What is sensational is that he loved us enough and he had enough grace to call his elect his elect. That is sensational. We don't need the copper scroll. We don't yeah. need all this You don't this need other... Aramaic. You don't need you, you can get that out of your King James. Yeah, exactly. For the most part. And so so uh you know if and all these guys who are saying oh it's originally Aramaic. Go back to the Aramaic blah blah blah. What they're saying is that you can't trust your Bible. You can trust your Bible. Trust your Bible. Because you know what? Your Bible is what tells us about our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.